Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist and the magical mystery tour called Life, Matthew DiBiaz. Tonight's guest is artist Paul Bouchard. Paul is a multifaceted artist. His work is particularly influenced by working through his post-traumatic stress disorder from the Vietnam War. His primary media are handmade cast paper, oils, welded aluminum, and steel, acrylic, and watercolor. Paul has works in 20 public collections, including U.S. State Department Art and Embassies Collection, State University of New York at Oneonta, Dayton International Peace Museum, California State University Art Museum, City of Beverly Hills Municipal Collection, and various other locations. He has had over 100 group shows and 14 solo exhibitions nationally and internationally since 1972. His most recent exhibitions, VAP at the Pentagon till November, Through Your Eyes, National Park Service, Washington, D.C. in 2012, and Kingston, New York Sculpture Biennial for 2012. Paul, where were you born and raised? I was born in Providence, Rhode Island, but I was raised in... Uh, in Redonda Beach, California, basically, um, from 53 to 2002. At what age did you decide to become an artist? Well, I had a fifth grade uh, teacher, and her husband was an artist, and she recognized that in the class projects that I had more talent than the rest of the other kids, and, you know, counseled my parents that I needed some outside school training and I, so I got some through the uh, city of Torrance's art and recreation program. Now growing up and living throughout your life who were and are your favorite artists and of your favorite artists which ones in a way helped influence you or perhaps inspire you to become an artist in your own right? Well uh, one of the <coughs> my, my high school art teacher uh, Cesar Hernandez, uh, you know, taught uh, not only just art, but a love of art and a love of creating. And that stuck with me. And then uh, Gordon Wagner was a real influence. Uh, it was funny, my life and his paralleled each other over, oh, almost 30 years before we actually met. Uh, I mean, uh, he was... Uh, he was a, a very unique person, and uh, he influenced me greatly uh, because he uh, he uh, was he studied with Picasso because uh, a local artist had taken him under his wing in Redondo Beach and uh, arranged that because he had been orphaned in a tragic roller coaster accident at the Redondo Amusement Park, Ooh. and. Uh, he survived, you know, it's like the roller, the wooden roller coaster framework collapsed and there was a big oceanside plunge and he was thrown into it and he was one of the few people that survived that crash. Oh my goodness. Holy cow. Yeah. And uh, he was an inventor and fabricator of things and uh, he showed me and, you know, to, to look at things and, and how to you know, maneuver them in your mind, and it was a real influence, and his outlook on life was great. Please tell our listeners, how would you describe your artistic style? I mean, is it abstract, or is it more avant-garde? I mean, if you, ha if you had to classify 
your body of work? How would you classify it, Mr. Bouchard? Uh, well, that's a good that's a good question. Uh, basically, I uh, I vacillate. I vacillate from uh, strictly uh, like designs in uh, some of the sculptures, and then some of the sculptures I make are political. Mm. And then uh, I do paintings of all sorts, the cast paper uh, pieces. Uh, some are historical. Some are, uh, well, you know, uh, political and, and or working through my PTSD. It just depends. So the thing was, I worked, I studied art in high school, junior college. Then with the Vietnam War, I had to go into service. And uh, when I came back from the service, I went back to school studying sculpture. Mm. And I got a job as an apprentice welder in the Navy shipyard. Mm. Uh, you know, I figured if I'm going to do sculpture, I want to make big things and they won't fall down and hurt people. And so I was doing that, and then I got injured on the job. And then I couldn't... Uh, you know, maintain my status as a welder so that, well, they didn't know what to do with me. And so they decided to retrain me. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, I'll be an artist. You know, how are you going to earn a living? I said, I'll be an illustrator. And they said, they put me through school for illustration. And I ended my first job out of college was at the uh, Army Aviation Engineering Flight Activity at Edwards Air Force Base. Ooh. Uh, where they tested their helicopters mm -hmm. and write technical reports, and I do the illustrations, I do the layout and face stuff. And my most exciting shortest fuse project was making view graphs and how to rescue people from the first space shuttle while it was coming down out at Edwards Air Force Base. Wow. Now, when you when you when did your tour of duty in Nam? What what year was your tour? Was it just one tour of duty? And what branch was, of service? Well, uh, in the Navy, a tour a, they call it a, you know, a Westpac, and it lasts six months. Where the Army, you know, say the Army or the Marines on the ground, uh, theirs was like a year. But we were on a ship that uh, only had it was a unusual ship and it was the first time that that type of ship had been basically out of the US and so we were we had a huge sonar dome like about 200 feet long mm -hmm. so and it took up a lot of depth and so we couldn't go in close to the shore too often and so we would more be maybe a mile outside of outside of land and go along the coast and try to get people to uh, you know, the Viet Cong or the North Koreans to uh, talk about us on the radios so they could you know figure out where their radio towers were mm -hmm. uh, so we were just kind of a floating target for a while and this was at the same time uh, that the Pueblo was captured Ooh, 68 uh, 68 yeah. right right and so anyway, so we uh, we you know would annoy them, and then we went over and annoyed the uh, red uh, Chinese Meg base on Hainan Island, mm. and then we ended up uh, basically at the uh, 
southern uh, Siberian border by North Korea. And we had a, a basically a, ran into a two mesh Russian heavy cruisers. And uh, then we, one of them stopped and we stopped and we sat there and floated for five days with our one gun at them and their 14 guns pointed at us, you Ouch. know, it seemed like. And uh, that type of thing was, you know, like that was in 68. In, uh, in 65, there, I had seen a movie called uh, The Bedford Incident, which was a, a standoff between a U.S. destroyer and a Russian submarine. Mm. And, and that had left an impression on me, and, and staring down those gun barrels left an impression on me. But I didn't think about much. I came back. Uh, they had a, a re reducing the number of people in the military, and so I ended up getting out early. Mm -hmm. And didn't think about it. But in 79, when uh, the uh, Russians invaded Afghanistan, I uh, there was a, a ruddy-faced Irish Heritage Major coming down the hallway where I worked, and I go, "Hi, oh, you going to you going to Afghanistan with everybody else?" You know, and the color drained out of his face like a thermometer in ice. And I didn't think about it, and I went home, and I started doing cross hatching and watercolor, and I just had a compulsion to do it, and I kept doing it and doing it. And it kind of evolved into something that looked like fabric and then involved in a whole series of flags paintings. In standard traditional watercolor techniques, it's just the subject matter uh, wasn't traditional. Now, when I, when I was, you sent me a, a, a web link that shows your, your very beautiful uh, artworks there. And I, as you mentioned earlier, some of your artworks deal with political themes. Were you politically aware before the war, or did fighting in the war make you more politically aware? Uh, well, you know, it does, you know, you never come out exactly as you go in. And like it was 10 years after the, after I got back before anything was triggered. You know, that's why mm. they call it post, you mm. know. Uh, you never know when it's going to pop up. You don't even know if you have it or don't have it before that point in time. How long does it take for you to create a work, one of your works, from the moment of conception to its final unveiling? I mean, as a rule, I mean, how much time do you, an effort do you put into one of your works? It could be one of your 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 your, your sculptures, or it could be one of your paint your, well, your paintings. Every artist works differently. I solve my problems mentally in advance before I start. Mm. And so there's very little redo. There's very little stopping. I probably am relatively short. You know, I mean, if the actual time working, you know, I can probably, you know, I spend more time watching paint dry than, uh, you know, than needing to stop. Now, before uh, before COVID nineteen struck the nation, you told me you were working on a project for the Saratoga National Battlefield, titled "Sword Surrender." Please tell our listeners about this work and and uh, what's what's the status of it right now, and when can we expect its final completion, Paul? Well, uh, I have to check with them. I'm 
basically, uh, there was a, there was a group called Friends of Saratoga Battlefield. You have the Saratoga Battlefield, which is a national historic park already in existence. And this is uh, overlooking, you know, these places are overlooking more or less the Hudson River mm-hmm. here in upstate New York. And uh, the uh, somebody figured out that this property that was coming up for sale was where the actual surrender took place. Mm. So they formed a group and this was like over 20 some odd years ago and started raising the money to, you know, to buy the land and, and get the plans made and whatnot done. You know, they raised like uh, three quarters of a million dollars uh, to put this together. And in the meantime, I was unaware of it. And so I was going to water aerobics therapy to strengthen my legs before what I had planned to be a knee replacement operation and became friendly with the woman who happened to be in that group. And we just, you know, we just talked. And then as they got closer to actually doing something, they realized that they didn't have any artistic input in their plants. What they wanted to do there's a, a beautiful painting in the Capitol Rotunda in Washington by Trumbull mm-hmm. of the Burgoyne Surrender. Now that painting is, uh, I believe, 12 by 19 feet. And what they were going to do was take that image of that painting and shrink it down to four feet by five feet mm-hmm. in bronze. And they called me in and I took a look at it and I said, you know, if you do that, the people in this painting are going to look like the ants at the picnic. (laughs) (laughs) And so I had them get permission for me to crop the image. Uh, So down to something that was looked really nice at four by five feet. And then I reviewed uh, the work of, of basically all the foundries on the East coast and gave them a list of six or seven foundries uh, that could do the quality of work that they needed. And then they put it out for bids. And it was uh, carved uh, and cast by a company called Carolina Bronze. Mm. And they did a beautiful job. I was only really involved with the main plaque. And then there's some other plaques with various information that are good size too, but but this was their, their, you know, crowning jewel. And um, it came out beautiful. And the last time I was out there, they were stalled because of the virus. Uh, basically, they had all the stonework done and they had the plaques in. Uh, they were uh, waiting for a kind of uh, 18th century uh, fencing to be made and the uh, woodage, wooden carriage fixtures and the wheels for 18th century cannons. Obviously they had got some cannons released, but they have to make the woodwork for it. But it was all stalled due to the uh, virus. I haven't really contacted them recently to see where they were on that. But see, the thing is, is that any sort of monument, uh, 
to go into the park service system has to be a turnkey operation. Mm. Has to be fully paid for, fully done, and they just take over the paperwork. You know, this is kind of a leftover from McCarthy. Yeah. time when the uh, he went after the artists for being too uh, liberal mm-hmm. and uh, so after that the government wasn't allowed to buy original art and so not all, it has to be a non-profit that puts it together and then transfers it into the government I mean uh, since you're dealing with a federal government a- a- entity I mean is there a lot of I mean, especially in this day and age with political correctness and all that, is there a lot of delicate negotiations about you know, subject matters, what a sculpture is supposed to be, what it can't be? I mean, is there any tricky negotiations like that? No, well, the focus was on the historic event. Okay. You know, and uh, there's a lot of documentation and records you know, from that time. But basically, it's, it's all real historic things without... without you know, that much slant to anything. You know, it's pretty straightforward history. And it's, but it's, you know, it's accurate. When sort of Serena will finally uh, reach, you know, reach its conclusion, will you consider it your most prominent work? Well, um, I have, you know, well, things, some things I have way more artistic input and control than this. This was, you know, kind of uh, making certain that all their efforts uh, looked good. And, you know, I mean, they, they knew what they wanted. They just needed to know how to do it properly. Mm, okay. You know, so I basically went in there and, uh, you know, make certain all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed and everything got done right. Now, do you now in your artworks? Do you work alone, or do you work with your wife? How and how much of your work is collaborative with your wife? We have things we do together, and we are our best, uh, our fellow critiquers of each other's work. Uh, you know, uh, she has intuitive things. I have more training. I have more experience in various media. You know, because I was trained as a fine art person. I was trained as a commercial art person. I was trained as a industrial welder. So I have, uh, you know, a wide uh, palette of options when I approach something. And then sometimes she comes to me and says, well, I want to do this. So what do I need to do? You know, so I'm more or less technical support and uh, occasionally the in-house welder. Now, earlier you mentioned, you know, getting quality uh, metallic materials, you know, good quality aluminum and steel. I'm a, I, see, I, 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 I've never dealt with art. I mean, I'm a writer, so I'm kind of curious about this. How does one go about finding the proper quality of aluminum or steel that you use for, you know, to create your artworks? I mean, how do you go about doing that? Because this is not your garden variety occupation. I'm kind of curious. Where do you find the right aluminum or the right steel to create your artworks well it's interesting this you know we we moved here to new york from california and we ended up at saratoga springs without you know a whole lot of in-depth planning and now up up, uh, 
up in Lake George area at Bolton Landing, uh, David Smith, uh, who was the first sculptor uh, to make it a name for himself and, and beautiful works by welding metal. Mm. Everybody else prior to that basically made their names by creating, let's say, a clay model, then making a mold, then pouring a wax, and then burning out the wax, and then casting the metal. They were, you know, but David Smith during World War II was welding tanks down in Schenectady. I mean, tanks with, you know, cannons and tread. Wow. And, and uh, so he was the first to do welding as, as a way to make art. And, you know, he, got, he died in a, uh, a tragic traffic accident, I believe, in 1964. Oh. But anyway, I was dealing, I, I went up to a scrap metal yard up in Lens Falls. And the, uh, the owner's son uh, there uh, is interested in art, and he saw I was an artist. My wife was an artist. He was willing to uh, sell us uh, the scrap metal that we wanted. Mm. And the thing was, you know, and after a year or so of my going up there, I ran into one day when his father was down there to take the uh, payroll to the bank. And he says, you know why he's giving you a good deal on the metal? I said, no, not exactly, but I'm happy, more or less. And uh, he said, well, I used to sell steel to David Smith, and if I had traded with him, because part of my trade was I, he wanted me to make up a small assemblage sculpture, which I did. Uh, but the thing was that at, just at that point in time, David Smith, one of his earlier sculptures, had just sold for $23 million. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. And, and he used to sell David Smith the steel he worked with. Mm. <laughs> you know? Wow. Now, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, how often do you get commissions for your work? I've always been kind of curious about that. I mean, how does an artist get commissioned? I mean, do you advertise or do people seek you out? Is it word of mouth? I mean, how does one it's, get an actual commission? It's, it's a wide variety of things. You know, it, it goes in all different ways. I mean, you know, there are, you know, places where ads for projects appear on a regular basis, and then you submit images of what you've done. And uh, then if they like that, then they'll say, well, maybe make a scale model. Ooh. And you make a scale model, perhaps. And then you say, well, this is, you know, this, but it's going to be five feet by 12 feet or whatever the site is that it's going into. Uh, some of mine were, I answered an ad and, and some of mine, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, there was an interesting one. I had a, I helped develop a cultural center in San Pedro, California in the early 80s. Mm. And then I had a studio there. And then after that, I had a studio in Palos Verdes, which in the old days used to have marine land. Mm -hmm. But anyway, uh, and there was a class at UCLA Extension on how to buy art. And I talked to them and showed them some of the stuff that I do. And they, uh, they put me on their list for studio tours. And 
this uh, stream of it was a Rolls Royce followed by a stream of Mercedes I could see driving through the hills to get there. And then they, they showed up and they looked at everything. And this one mama was very interested. And she came back with her husband and they were, they were from New York. They had just recently moved to California and handmade cast paper piece. Okay. They wanted, they wanted a handmade cast paper piece to go over their bed. Mm. So, but they wanted something that if the earthquake shook it off the wall, it wouldn't kill them. Mm. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that was their impetus. So I made three of those because I couldn't. With the cast paper, I don't know if you're familiar with cast paper, but I'll give you the, the thirty second tour. You uh, grind up the paper pulp, cotton linters. And it goes in a slurry of water, and you can add watercolor pigment to it at that point in time. And then you have a wooden framework, like you know, a hefty picture frame, with a screen on it, and you do a gold panning action, and you have a layer of paper fibers. And then I would have carved a mold with a design, and then I flip it into the mold, and when it dries, the mold's made out of wax, and it pops out. And I'd make two or three pieces of paper that way, but they wouldn't be all identical. They would be, each would be, say, 65% of the mold. And then I would put them together and make a composition. So, like, I made three of those, and I gave them the one that most closely met their specifications. Then I put one in a, a designer's shop in near Beverly Hills and Disney Studios went down there and rented one out, rented it out uh, for a movie. And then the third one I have on the wall in my bedroom. <laughs> wow. Uh, do you have, Paul, do you have any future projects lined up after Sword Surrender? Uh, anything in the wind? Oh, there's a lot. Okay, I have a show I'm part of a show of veterans art at the University of Rhode Island, Providence, currently, which will run through till I believe the third of December. Wow! I have a, I have another show in Austin, Texas, of veterans. And then I have another show that's being juried right now, uh, in Valdosta, Georgia. Okay. You know. Do you do any teaching with regards to art? Have you ever considered teaching? I, I, when I worked out in the desert, I taught for uh, Antelope Valley College for just one semester before I left the area. And uh, Antelope Valley College's school district was the same size as L.A. County. In the desert, you're talking huge areas. And, I, and so they had like 100 satellite locations for people to teach in all over the desert. And I taught at two of them. And it was enjoyable. But they want they they wanted me to teach too much in too short a time, so it was very difficult. Paul, I want to thank you very much for appearing on my show. And it's a great honor and privilege to interview you. And I would love to talk to you again. You know, if you ever have any major works come out, I would love to have talk to you again. In fact, if your wife ever wants to appear on my show, I would, I, I'm still booking for people for next year. If she's willing to 
be interviewed by me next year. I would I would yeah, love well, to have her on uh, as well. She, she does, uh, uh, and she, you know her. She's she's exhibited in uh, a lot of different places, East Coast, West Coast, and and even in a group show at the Smithsonian. Uh, she has. Okay. So, uh, I will talk to her and uh, and we'll get back with you. Okay, Paul, you take care. Good luck, uh, you and your wife. Good luck in all your artistic endeavors. And, Paul, please be safe. Please. That's what we're trying to do. You know, I have a gallery in downtown Saratoga, but basically it's been closed uh, since March. Okay. You know, I, I mean, I still have it, but, I just, you know, I just go down there to water the potted plant. <laughs> okay. Well, you take care, Paul, okay? You too. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for our next week's show where I will be interviewing author Stephen Marcus. Thank you and good night.